0: Hey everybody, it's Josh Rubin here with the latest edition of the Rubin Special live from New York City. We're joined by my good friend, Chase Costello out in Seattle, Bellevue, Washington. Chase is just getting his tripod set up because we're doing live on Facebook and Instagram just for your viewing pleasure. Chase, how you doing out there in Seattle?
1: I'm good, Josh. Thank you so much for getting me on here, but I'm having a little technical difficulties with my tripod. But other than that, I'm fantastic.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, you know, Chase, we've been uh, operating on a little bit of a vacuum here in New York City. Uh, You know, people don't know whether the market is up, down, sideways, or what. We are, you know, doing business slowly but surely starting to come out of the woodwork. We're seeing inquiries uh, online on our listings climb a little bit. We're seeing lots of people come out of the caves and trying to list their homes. Uh, We're doing photography. We're doing floor plans. Uh, But I'll tell you, rumor is that when we actually try to do these things, sometimes we get caught. And uh, we heard of a colleague of ours out on Long Island who was just doing photography the other day, not even showing to a prospective buyer, not meeting with a prospective seller. They got the listing. They're doing photography. They're keeping social distancing. They have the photographer in the house. The agent is waiting outside in the car. The neighbor sees what they deem to be suspicious activity at the house. So what do they do? A good neighbor. What do they do? They call the police and say, I see suspicious activity at my neighbor's house. Can you check on them and go and investigate? The police go and investigate. They find that the real estate agent is doing what they do. And they levied a fine on the real estate agent of $10,000. $10,000. And there's rumor that they want to revoke the, the agent's license. It's mind blowing because, you know, Andrew Cuomo, the governor has deemed us to be essential. Right. So he said, yes, you're essential. Yes, you can market homes. Yes, you can show homes, but it has to be done virtually. Right. So it can't be done in person. So, you know, what do we do?
1: Right. Yeah, that, that that's a that's a tough situation. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know how you want to look at it. In Washington state, we are considered essential so we can still show properties. Uh, we have not heard of anybody getting fined that heavily for not staying within the restricted boundaries or guidelines. Um, our rules here in the state is we can show properties, but we have to, A, they've got to be one at a time. So if you're showing a, a family, well, two people can be in, but one has to obviously be an agent. So it's like you're going in, touring, coming out, dropping off, picking up the next person, going in, and you have to block out increments of 30 minutes time slots. So it's, it's actually kind of challenging to get into homes because they're booking up once they come on the market, but that sucks for getting a ten thousand dollars fine for doing what that agent did.
0: Yeah. So, Chase, are you using Showing Time, or how are you uh, how are you setting it up? You know, is it is it booked by the time slot in Showing Time? How does it work?
1: Yeah, it is. So, what we do is, and, and I've never used Showing Time until this started to happen. And what we do is, you know, you just go into the app and then request it. And typically, you know, if, a, if, if a buyer of mine or one of my agents says, Hey, I want to see it at 10 o'clock, we have to say, well, we got to even see if it's available at 10 o'clock and you just go in and they give you only increments. Some showings will only give you increments of 15 minutes. You're lucky if you get one for 30 minutes. Um, I went and showed a couple houses to a relocation buyer that's moving out here and it was a really cool house in, in Queen Anne, uh, Seattle. And there was no showings for Saturday or Sunday. Luckily, I knew really? the listing agent. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it stuff is just—it
0: was all booked up in showing time already. Nothing you could do, but you know, rely on your relationship with the listing agent and say, "Hey, Mary, I see your new new listing. Really want to get in there with this buyer, but I can't do it through showing time. Is there any chance you could work it out?"
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, luckily the house has been vacant, and we're seeing more and more homes that we see on the market are, are, are I would say. 80% of them are vacant, so we can kind of get outside that guy those boundaries.
0: Right. And so I know that, uh, you know, Washington State, specifically, I believe it was Kirkland, was one of the first hotspots back in, what was it, early March, late February, and, uh, you know, it started to spread there. So what was the immediate impact, and how did people actually, uh, you know, adapt to, to that yeah. situation?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, It was actually really scary and shocking uh, because I don't think people really knew what was going to happen and how fast this was going to spread in in that, that uh, nursing home is only, you know, 15 minutes away from my house and having a family, you know, you worry of like, great, how fast is this going to get to my house? Luckily they were able to somewhat quarantine that for, the time um and then you know obviously you guys know what happened you guys were hit heavily hard um yeah. it, it was a shock i mean it was just it was more of like what do we do what's going to happen what's this landscape going to look like in the next 30 40 65 days and here we are yeah
0: yeah it's uh, it's pretty crazy so we've gone through this this period where we've you know been forced to stay at home to to keep you know both our ourselves our families and our clients safe and you know now we've adapted to the new normal but uh, know have you seen any real impact on values Uh, obviously there's an impact on process but is there any real impact on values in your market locally there or is it is it really just kind of like you know connecting the dots and not really impacted so much
1: yeah i think at first josh um the the you know, buyers still think that it's heavily impacted our market and that our market is going down 20% in the next three months. Um, so it's, it's trying to educate those buyers that that's really not happening and just showing them, you know, the data that we have seen over the course of 60 days of like, look, we're, we're not seeing this. We're not even seeing this. We're seeing kind of this. And, you know, we've seen like in Bellevue, if you look at, uh, Last April 2019 to this April 2019, I mean, we're still seeing like 10 percent appreciation, and then Seattle, we're seeing like seven percent appreciation. The downside really? of it is, is yeah, and it's it's just, what, I'm
0: it's, sorry. In what time is that? What time period? Like when you say six or seven or eight percent?
1: Well, I'm looking at from April 2019 to April 2020. You know, we're Got seeing it. prices go between five and ten percent. So you're um, saying year over year? Yeah, 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 we're we're still seeing tremendous growth. It's just hard to sometimes educate I mean sellers obviously always want to maximize top dollar and, and you know want more. It's the buyers that come in and go, no, nah, the market I mean we've been watching the news, you know national media talks about how the housing market's crashing, and you know everything's kind of in a bubble depending on where you're located at, and because of where we're located at and all the you know strong infrastructure we have with jobs like amazon microsoft google facebook I mean they're all yeah. still working,
0: yeah. Yeah, so all these companies are working. Obviously, the corporate office structure and culture needs to adapt a little bit too, because you know, before this, engineers at, at companies like Amazon and uh, you know Microsoft, of course, um, and I think even Costco, which is headquartered around there, uh, they are you know sitting elbow to elbow on on these you know workbenches or desks, as the case may be, and so, I mean you know, they're having to adapt, no longer can we sit, you know, six inches to two feet apart, we now have to, uh, you know, think about, you know, social distancing and six feet until this thing blows over. So how are people going to work in, in Seattle?
1: They're not, I mean, most of them seem to be working from home, which has actually had another effect on the real estate market because, you know, a lot of these tech jobs, most of them, work from home either, you know, 30% of the time to 70% of the time. So now they're working from home 100% of the time and they're having to adjust and adapt to like, I've got to have a house that has the right workspace for myself, my family, whether we have a nanny, an au pair, or, you know, kids that are in school that need, you know, that you still got to be homeschooled but it, you're kind of on top of each other, right? So people I think are, are expanding and looking to either move a little further out and get a little bit more space. So it, it hasn't really been that much of an effect on us.
0: Huh, that's interesting. So it sounds like you have this like pull, almost like a tug of war between buyers and sellers where you have these buyers who think that, you know they can get over and all, all, you, know, you know, bid things lower. The sellers aren't responding, I would assume, and you're having to educate the buyers now more than ever.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're having to educate the buyers more than ever and then you're also having to still educate the sellers because the sellers you know, they don't really follow the market like you and I do, right? Because I mean, we live and breathe and eat and I mean, everything is about the market. All they watch is, you know, the mainstream media and when they talk and and we all know media wants bad news because it sells advertisement space and so when they talk about how bad the market's crashing and you know, Everyone's losing equity. Yeah, unfortunately, there are some families and homeowners that are, but here it's not so much because we still have an abundance amount of people coming into our area that are still buying. And what I tell buyers or sellers, or even people that are just entertaining getting into the market, is a home is an essential. It's not like a luxury, it's an essential. You have to have shelter. So, whether you're gonna pay your mortgage or you're gonna pay your landlord's mortgage, you're gonna pay something because you have to live somewhere.
0: Right. You know, that's a very good point. And, you know, we have to keep in mind that that real estate is an asset and it's one that we derive great value from because not only does it historically appreciate slowly over time, but you know, we're able to to use it and you know, take shelter in it and you know, raise our families, et cetera. So, you know, it's it's really a you know fantastic time to be you know, thinking about investing in it with rates being as low as they are, um, are you seeing volume pretty much, uh, you know, the same in these, you know, the last week or two year over year, or are you seeing it kind of, you know, down or or flat? And what are you seeing with new listings?
1: Well, that's always been a struggle. And it's even more so now because um, sellers tend to not want to put their house on the market if it's owner occupied, right? If it's vacant, they're more open to it. But, 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 Sellers don't necessarily want to put it on the market because they're fearful of having, you know, the the virus getting spread through people touching, you know, door handles or light switches or whatever. So we're right. still low in inventory. I mean, we're averaging about one point four to one point six months of inventory. Wow. Uh, and, and you know, a lot of times when I explain that to clients, they don't understand what that means. And if if basically the real estate gods came in and said no one can put any more houses on the market in a month and a half, there is nothing. To sell, right? I love I that, go, James, that,
0: that, that. That's a great way to articulate what absorption rate is. You know, I'll admit to all our viewers right now that that I've personally struggled with explaining what absorption rate is. But you just hit the nail right on the head. So I'd like to give you a you know a real estate Emmy right now. <laughs> just nice. Thank you. Thank you I you. that. It, I appreciate yeah, absolutely. It. <laughs> if, if the gods were to say, you can't list any more houses, this is how many months at the current pace, the current inventory level would take in order to be absorbed.
1: Well, I think a lot of agents struggle with that because I, I, I would sit in my meetings and pretend like I knew what they were talking about. And then well, I'm like, I don't, I don't get what this means. So it is what it is. And You know, and I'm sure you guys are experiencing that where you're at and I'm sure a lot of places in other parts of the country are experiencing that where they're at too. But I do feel that, you know, once the floodgates open, um, and when I mean floodgates, like a bunch of homes come on the market, I think then buyers are gonna then jump on board of like, okay, because we tend to follow the media, right? If the media goes, hey, you know, housing market's blowing up and you know, you can't get a house. And then everyone jumps into the market to try to buy a house, it's like, no, get in before that happens. And right now's that time to get in before it happens.
0: Exactly. You know, I've been telling people for the last month or so, hey, let's ramp up your process, whether you're buying or selling, because now is the time. And you know, sellers are gonna be a little bit more open. I'm not saying they're gonna be open to bids 20% below the ask, but sellers are gonna be more receptive due to this you know uncertainty that we're coming out of. And you know, buyers can take advantage of the low rates. If you wait two, three, four months before the skies are crystal clear and you know, we realize that, hey, it's still a good time, then we're going to be right headlong into the election cycle. And right. you know, it's anyone's guess as to how that's going to affect the market. But you know, if history is any indication, Chase, I don't think that's going to be good. And then it's going to be the first quarter of 21 before we're really able to get any sense of, of clarity and how things are shaping up whether it be you know, the Trump administration, the Biden administration, who's gonna be the vice president, where a stock market's gonna be, what's happening to the SALT deduction, which is the state and local tax deduction, which has really impacted New York uh, State and New York City specifically. We see you know people being more open to claiming uh, primary residence uh, outside of New York City, which was already having an impact before COVID and the pandemic. So there are a lot of variables here that we're dealing with over the next six months. That's why the next three to four months are really a unique opportunity uh, for anyone who's thinking about doing anything real estate wise.
1: Oh, and, and like, you know, we had talked about earlier before we jumped on this call is because everyone follows the trend, everyone's waiting for the media to just say how great this market is. And I just, I don't want people to miss out on these perfect opportunities right now because you're still going to get in. You, you still potentially can get into bidding wars, right? And, and, agents typically know what's happening in the market sooner than when the media starts talking about what's happening in the market and you just got to listen to your broker
0: yeah I mean a good a good agent is really somebody who is out there you know both literally and figuratively talking to each other uh, not just themselves but talking to each other there's been a lot of talking to ourselves during this pandemic right and you know it's that inner voice telling us what to believe. But the more that you know, we participate in conversations with other professionals in our community, the more likely it is that we'll actually be able to get tapped into not only what's happening in our local market, but our national market, which has been so great about these conversations that I've been having yeah. with people like you and you know, others in our community, because I'm able to keep tabs on what the reality is, what's happening in Orange County, what's happening in Florida, what's happening in Texas, you know, Chicago with you in Seattle and you know the surrounding metro area. And you know, it's really interesting because we see activity in these markets, whereas maybe there's not as much activity in our market. So it's important to know that there is life after this.
1: Right. Yeah. And I'm sure you're going to be having these conversations soon soon with some of your sellers that are asking you, you know, hey Josh, I want to get out of town and maybe move to Florida or Chicago or Orange County or Seattle. And the fact that you have these relationships with other brokers out there that you can say well you know I just talked to a colleague of mine who you know kind of informed me of what's happening in their market I'm happy to put you in contact with so I think that's an awesome asset that you provide um, to your sellers.
0: Yeah absolutely. Chase tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into the business because you know we're all sort of interesting people you know none of us really you know grew up, you know, being 10 years old, dreaming of what we wanted to do. And most kids are thinking about being, you know, pilots or fashion designers or screenwriters. And, you know, not many of us actually said, Hey, I want to be a real estate broker. So tell us a little bit about your, your sort of, uh, your entrance into the, into the business.
1: Yeah. So in, uh, 2001 timeframe, I was, um, doing mortgages and, um, I love doing mortgages. I just didn't like sitting behind a desk and never really getting to interact with people face to face. And I I really admired kind of the home purchasing process. And um, I decided that, you know, maybe real estate would be something I would enjoy doing. So I went and got my license, but I did it more as an investor. So I could, it was really to buy my very first place. I wanted to understand like, how does this process work? So I went and got my real estate license but I didn't sell real estate. I just had my license so I could buy my first property. And then in 2005 or four, no three, I think it was, I got into the wholesale mortgage business, which is basically going around and selling papers to um, mortgage brokers. And that crashed in obviously 2008 and pretty much lost everything. And I went home in Seattle and I was watching uh, it was Obama doing the State of the Union, and he he made some comment. I, I, I love watching the State of the Union, of just kind of what getting a pulse on what's happening. And he made some comment of like, "Hey, the markets changed." Like what I heard was, "The markets changed. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Go find something that you're passionate about and do it." And I sat and I, th- I sat and thought about it, and I realized, you know what? I always was passionate about real estate. Now this was in 2010, so the market was still nothing sexy about it, right? It was bank-owned property, right. short sales. Yeah. And, um, I thought, well, it can't be like this forever. So if I'm going to do it, I'd rather get into it here, right. than get into it here. So I went and got my real estate license. And then I basically just went and knocked on doors and met with probably a handful of brokers and decided who I wanted to hang my license with. And that's how I got into it. And here I am today on the Josh Rubin show. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to the Rubin special. Thank you. We
0: serve it up lovely. So Chase, you know, after your sort of entree to the business, your introduction sort of 2010, when you got into it, tell us about, you know, your career trajectory and what's led you to, to you know, the success that you've had, you know, especially the last few years, your, your business has kind of gone parabolic to some degree.
1: Yeah. So um, right when I first got into the business, um, I got a call from a Zillow uh salesperson and started talking about zillow right and i was like yeah i knew what zillow was it was you know kind of a quasi of you figuring out what your house is worth and we started talking about marketing and, and i thought well you know what i'll try it i mean everyone's on the internet so why not try it and i got into zillow zillow was like my first platform of advertising and they sent me they said hey because I said, hey, I'm thinking about getting a business coach. This is before I even know who Tom Ferry was. I was like, I'm going to get a business coach. And I met with this guy, this business coach who came to my office and um, he just didn't wow me. And I told my Zillow rep this and they go, hey, Tom Perry is going to be in Bellevue. Why don't you go see this guy? So I was like, all right, I don't know who this guy is. And I listened to Tom speak and it was right before he had back surgery and we chatted for a little bit and then he's like, you know what, just commit to doing this. I promise you, just commit. If you commit and you do the work, you will be successful. And I thought, what the hell? I had a little bit of money set aside for advertising and I just invested it in myself, which is what I did with Tom. And meeting people like you and other awesome people across the country, you know I got a network with just top-minded people and it just really helped me understand how to build a business. And and honestly, I don't think I'd be where I am today if I didn't have kind of like that ecosystem of support of like seeing people like you and other people of like what they're doing, how they're doing it. Because think about, I mean, you know, we go to our office and it's like, that's all we know is just what's at our office. And I just wasn't that impressed. I mean, there was great agents at my office, but then when I got to meet other people, I'm like, holy smokes, these guys got their stuff together. And then I just started kind of going through the playbook and masterminding and not everything works for everybody. So I built a team up. Um, I think I had 10 people at one time on a team. We were doing about 200 transactions and I actually wasn't enjoying it because what I wasn't enjoying is I wasn't really selling real estate. I was like a manager, which was fun, but I loved the deal. I love just negotiating the deal. I love being part of the deal and that went away. So I scaled back, kind of restructured, built a little bit more of a boutique team, which is where I'm at right now. And I've been, I've been really enjoyed this space and just so you got to,
0: back into production. You were, you were got back, back into production. And, and building your team. You were actually giving those opportunities to run with the ball to the members of your team and yeah. and took yourself out of production. And you were more sort of a manager within an office. I I, I presume like you didn't have yeah. your own
1: office, right? No, no, we didn't have our own brokerage, but you know, right. we're a, it's like being a broker inside of a broker. So yeah, Yeah, you're you're, you're
0: sort of a brand within the brokerage and and you missed production. So what did you do? You said, Hey, you know what? I'm not really loving this setup. So you paired the team back to your key players. I assume you got back into production and that's where you are today.
1: Yep. And I love the space that I'm in because it, it honestly, what it comes down to is I just really enjoy meeting new people that come to the area and then they just they don't know they don't know people, they don't know what to do. Like today I'm I'm going golfing with a client of mine who um, you know, I've known for about a year and a half and he just said, Hey, let's go play around a golf. And so like I've met I've met probably 25 new friends just because I sell real estate. Yeah. And I you need know, to figure out a way to make friends. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing how how our real estate business really does. Uh, take sort of you know front and center attention in our lives, and and like you, a lot of my good friends have started as clients and now built into some of my closer friends. In fact, one of them, believe it or not, one of them is actually in my will.
1: So, no way. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. So, so uh, Gino, thank you very much for uh, taking on that role. I appreciate it. Um, but you know, it's interesting how many people we get to meet on a day to day basis, and you know, I mean, it's just, it's just remarkable. In fact, um, you know, there was, there was one time that I, that I, uh, was in my office wondering where my next deal was going to come from and my phone rings and my assistant tells me who's on the phone. And it happens to be this executive who I've admired from afar for, you know, most of my adult life. And he had received a postcard from me. And so I, I stood up and stood out of my chair and I said, you know, Mr. Smith, I've been expecting your call. <laughs> I, didn't say, I didn't say, this is Josh. I didn't say, how can I help you? I just said, Chase, I've been expecting your call because I had literally admired this guy for 20 years. And now he is calling me on a postcard. And I went down, I met him and his wife. I got his listing and I sold it. And you know, now he's on the phone with me just in the last month saying, hey, is it time to sell my next apartment? So it's really incredible just the number of people and, and the you know variety of people that we meet, we meet everybody from the kid coming out of a, out of school looking for a studio rental or something to share with his buddies or her buddies, uh, yep. and you know to you know the retiring executive of a Fortune one hundred company, and literally everyone in between. So it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible.
1: Well, and you get to see people's financial growth too. I mean, you, you sell a house ten years ago. And, you know, now let's say that's doubling in Seattle and you're watching them and, and time goes by obviously so fast, so you, you know, you kind of lose sight of like when they reach out to you and you're like, oh my gosh, it's already been 10 years and now you're going to take all that equity and you're buying something like you're really excited and happy that you helped create that wealth for them. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously in Manhattan, it's like 10 times what it is here. So you're seeing like 10 times the wealth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all pretty remarkable. In fact, we have a closing tomorrow with a client of ours. We're on our sixth transaction. I met her uh, selling her first apartment on West End Avenue on the Upper West Side. It was a small little one-bedroom facing an air shaft. We sold it for, I think, like $450,000. She took that and a little bit of a gift from her family, and she bought a one-bedroom in Williamsburg in a new development. And then a couple of years later, we sold that, bought a two-bedroom down the street, sold that moved her into a house in Bushwick, which is uh, turning into a very trendy neighborhood in the last few years. And now she's selling that and, you know, six transactions later and, you know, where her go to people. So these are the things that can happen if we just take care of our clients, we treat them like family and we stay in touch with them, which is really, you know, a key to success in our business is to really be sure to stay in touch with people. And we really need to reach out to, you know, our past clients every two to three months, because, as Tom said a few years ago at, at uh, one of the uh, summit uh, events uh, in Las Vegas, this is the one where I don't know if you were there, but David Goggins spoke. And uh, uh, Tom said, you know, if if you're not calling your past clients every two to three months, someone else is. That, That's right. that really struck a chord with me. So ever since then, I've really, you know, taken it upon myself to really keep in touch with people as, as much as possible.
1: Well, you have to right now too. I mean, especially when people are wondering what's happening with their equity in their house, right? Because people have that concern of, you know, it, am I losing my wealth right now? And, you, you know, we have to educate them and just show them the data. I, I just love how data-driven we can be with just showing them the analytics of, okay, Here's where you bought. Here's where the market is today, right? I mean, you're going to have just like the stock market. You're going to have peaks and valleys, and and you know we just can't panic over it. And at the end of the at the end of the day, whether you decide to sell and rent, you still have to pay something to live somewhere. So it might as well be your own place.
0: It's a great point, you know, and and really focusing on the data rather than the headlines is what is going to be able to get us through this, and you know, be based in reality because we really need to kind of keep in mind that you know what we see on the TV on CNBC or CNN or whatever your choice of news networks is or you know opening up the newspaper the Wall Street Journal as you pointed out earlier Chase you know the media is focused on one thing and that's revenue and how do they drive yeah. revenue they sell advertising space in order to sell advertising space they have to attract viewers like us to it and how do they do that sensationalism right so they need to play up the negative they need to play up you know, all the scary things that are happening in today's society. When if we focus on the data, the data will actually enable us to be much more positive and, you know, forward thinking in what we're actually doing and enable us to make progress because progress after all is what we really crave. Do we really want to be set in our, you know, thoughts of fear and not leave the house and stay under the covers all day? Or do we want to get out there and get at it and actually, you know, figure out what's going on and how we're going to move forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, at some point, you just got to turn the media off or the news off and just, you know, stop taking it in because it's what I what I realize is it just creates more anxiety for myself, right? Then it creates more anxiety for my family, for my kids. But if I just tune it out, I mean, not ignore it, we can't ignore it. But if we just tune it out and just decide what we want to take in and what we don't want to take in, like one of the rules we had in our house is we don't watch anything, no news after like seven o'clock we only watch it in the morning time because then you got all day to kind of go through it, right? Right. And, and you know, we had talked about this. It's, it, media gets your attention by scaring you. I'm not saying ignore it, but it's the clickbait, right? They're, if they talk about the good stuff, you're just gonna be like, ah, whatever, it's good stuff. I'm not gonna read it. But if it's bad stuff, it's like, oh man, I better see what's going on right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if it's catastrophic, you're gonna know about it instantaneously. But if right. it's something that's just selling newspapers, they're gonna, you know, lead you to believe one thing when, in reality, the facts can be much different. So, you know, the other day a client called me up and said, "Hey, uh, you know, I see on CNBC that they're reporting that things are off 20 percent, and that all, you know, brokers in the city think that the market is, you know, you know, falling from the sky, and we should really negotiate this contract on this purchase that I'm uh, scheduled to close on in the next couple of weeks." And I said, "Well, you know, that that doesn't sound like reality. It doesn't sound fact-based." I said. Let me go in check the data and I'll come back to you just give me ten minutes so I went into our database and I found that the things that CNBC was saying were totally inaccurate and right. that there had been you know many more transactions of far greater value than Robert Frank was reporting to the entire United States on CNBC so you know if we're gonna be reporting let's report the reality we can report the reality of You know what we're experiencing individually we can report the reality of what our colleagues are telling us nationally but you know let's focus on the reality and the reality is that the federal reserve stepped in in such a way that it was a record level stimulus and they did so within two weeks how did they do that well they did it because there was already a playbook from 2008 that took them six months to figure out how to issue the tarp rescue plan it was September to January by the time they started to develop the plan. And then, of course, in January, February, and then it wasn't until the end of February when it was finally rolled out officially and stock market didn't bounce until the first week of March of 2009, Chase. So no wonder we were in the position we were in then. The entire United States was brought to its knees. Now we see a Federal Reserve stimulus plan that was rolled out in two weeks. Thank you to Jerome Powell and Donald Trump and congress for working in conjunction bipartisan with each other to roll it out we got it done and people are already getting their you know paycheck protection program assistance a friend of mine who applied for an SBA loan got funded today congratulations peter you know at the end of the day though chase we really need to focus on how we're going to get through this rather than hey if i sold my house in you know uh, on march 15th when the markets were absolutely puking you know, what would it be worth? Well, I wouldn't recommend that you put your house on the market. In fact, that executive that I said that called me up after 20 years of admiring him, what did he do? You know, he called me up in in, in April, early April, and he said, Hey, is now the time to sell my house? And I said, Absolutely not, Mr. Smith. I said, wait. I said, let's get to June first and then we can list it. And so I called him up a couple of weeks ago and I said, Hey, now's the time when we're ramping up the marketing. And so that's exactly what we're doing. He and his wife are coming back to town. We're going to talk about staging. You know, it's a very prominent property in one of the top neighborhoods in the city. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're going to list it. We're going to give it the old college try. You know, three to four months before the election, we're going to we're gonna try to get these places sold.
1: Well, I'm sure you'll be very successful at selling it, Josh. Yeah,
0: you know, we'll see. I mean, we, we, we need the support of the market. But I got to tell you, I'm probably the most optimistic person in the city. Why? Because it's New York City, Chase, and New York That's City right. always comes back. I mean, the Yankees—they, the Yankees sucked in the in the early nineties. You know, throughout the eighties, the nineties, the Yankees sucked. What did they do? They came back with, you know, Derek Jeter, Scott Brosius. I mean, Bernie Antonio Williams, Martinez, Bernie Williams. I mean, what an incredible team they had in you know ninety six through you know really two thousand three. I think it was. I mean, they, they created this dynasty, right? It's New York City. It'll always come back. Guess what? Even the New York Knicks will be back. I guarantee. it. So, you know, Chase, I got to tell you, I'm pumped for this reopening that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. We're looking forward to it. We're starting to do deals. I listed something last Saturday. We already have an accepted offer to 100% of our asking price. So who are we kidding that the market is off 20%? The market is not off 20%. We're going to see a peak to peak connection and people are going to say, shit, I wish I was out there and February, March and April picking through the stuff that was available because I could have gotten that for a discount and now I have to pay market for it. So the days of the wholesale opportunity are behind us. Let's focus on the summer.
1: But I think the buyers want to still believe that they can get that 20% off below market value. And and when you try to educate them, they, you know, they almost want to push back a little bit of saying, no, 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 no. We think the market's going to go down, which it's clearly not. It's just, it's not happening. So yeah. talk to your local realtor, whoever's watching this throughout the country, because they have the data. It's all there. It's there. You just have to believe what you're hearing. It's don't watch the national news because that's not working.
0: No, no, definitely not. It's up to us to educate our clients. And you know, we have to have an open mind and a positive mindset. And we'll be able to adapt to the market. So, you know, look, at the end of the day, I think we're gonna do well. And uh, you know, one thing is for sure. Over my 25 years of doing this, Chase, all these buyers who are sitting on the sidelines waiting for the market to pull back, what do they do? They end up missing the opportunity and paying more than they had to if they had just stepped up, taken advantage of historically low rates and focused on the long-term.
1: Yeah, yep, I would agree. So
0: with that, Chase Costello in Seattle and Bellevue, Washington, thanks so much for joining us today on the Ruben special live on Instagram, and Facebook. If you haven't followed us, do so today. Ruben team on Facebook and Josh sells NY on Instagram. Thanks, Chase.
1: See you guys.